Hi, I'm Lalita Krishnan and I'm back with part 2 of episode 22 of the Heart of Conservation podcast. This is season 3. I bring you stories from the wild that keep us connected with the natural world. I'm speaking to Vena Kapoor, one of the leading members of the Education and Public Engagement Program at Nature Conservation Foundation. As an ecologist-conservation researcher, she has had interesting experiences which include exploring spiders as a natural pest control agent in the rainforests of Valparai to working in finance for NCF in Mysore. She's a recipient of the Ravi Shankaran Inlax Scholarship and holds her MPhil in conservation leadership from the University of Cambridge. She also writes conservation-related stories for children. You can read more about her on the NCF website ncf-india.org. But for now, let's hear it in her words. This interview was conducted over Skype. Veda, thank you so much for coming on Heart of Conservation. It really means a great deal to me. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me here, Lalita. My pleasure. So, at some point in your career, you were you were studying spiders and snakes, also I think, and helping restore rainforests in the Western Ghats. And then, uh, apart from you know, you write about urban wildlife on pavements and walls, etc. So, could you tell us about the transition from your earlier work to now? Yeah, uh, sure, Alita. I'm happy to do that. So, just to set the context, I do not have a science degree. I actually did my undergraduation in BCom, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think like a lot of people, um, just went to a regular convent school, which really had absolutely no kind of career guidance uh, thing. And I really didn't have a family who, um, you know, where there was anybody who was working in this in the field that I was really interested in. And my only exposure to conservation and wildlife as such were through, you know, the documentaries that they would show in Doordarshan once in a while. Um, and whatever books I could get hold of, either in the school library or something that my grandfather would bring from his friends. There used to be the BBC Wildlife books and things like that. So I used to kind of uh, pore over them and look at these pictures of exotic wildlife all over the world and really didn't think that, you know, uh, a career in this line would be possible. Um, I uh, Soon after my BCom, I kind of spoke to one of my teachers who put me in touch with a, a couple who was running an organization in uh, Chennai called Center for Indian Knowledge Systems. Uh, so they, they were working on traditional uh, agriculture and healthcare, and they needed someone to help them do some research on the effects of pesticides, um, you know, on agricultural uh, plants. And um, so I was very excited about kind of, uh, you know, trying this out. And it was uh, quite amazing that they took on someone like me with zero work experience to kind of help them with this work. Um, over there, um, Dr. Bijalakshmi, who was one of the people who founded the organization, she, for her PhD, did work on uh, spiders, um, especially one species of spider which, uh, you know, specializes in catching cockroaches. Hmm. And so the office was full of books and photographs um, of spiders, and it just it was completely by uh, both accident as well as a little bit of encouragement from them that I started just looking at this group and uh, it just got very, very kind of excited about, uh, you know, reading about the amazing diversity of spiders around us. 
and you know and they were interested specifically on seeing if spiders can be used as natural pest control agents in agricultural fields mm-hmm. especially in paddy and okay. so i started kind of looking into that and i start my first field kind of uh, research work is, in, in fact was in the gindi national park in uh, the heart of chennai city and i started documenting the spiders there for the organization as well as for the forest department and that's mm-hmm. where my interest in spiders started kind of uh, growing and you know i started uh, doing workshops on, and giving talks to people because i had this huge kind of collection of uh, pictures uh, with me and so mm-hmm. and so when i finished my uh, masters sorry after i finished uh, after i uh, worked in uh, this organization in chennai i decided to um, kind of look at getting a degree in ecology and and the wildlife sciences but the only place that would um, accept me as a non science student was the pondicherry university um because all the other places which had a, a masters program right um the requirement was that you had a kind of undergraduate uh, undergrad degree in science so i was disappointed but um i also said okay i you know let me join the pondicherry university program and so i did my two years masters there and as part of my masters work i uh, as part of my masters thesis i looked at how a particular species of spider the green link spider uh, had a relationship with a kind of a, a plant the jetrofa plant and uh, the kind of foraging techniques that they were using with the plant and it seemed to have a mutualistic kind of relationship so soon after that there was an offer uh, that i heard about that uh, the nature conservation foundation was looking for someone to help them with their rainforest restoration program that were, that they had just started a couple of years before mm. so in 2004 um uh, sorry in 2003 i went to uh, valpare uh, very excited because mm-hmm. i i think i don't need you know yeah. experienced working and living in the forest just once before that for a few days and so the prospect of doing actual field work and field research in a rainforest area thriving with wildlife uh, and these really cool kind of wildlife biologists was very exciting and so uh what was supposed to be a 6 month stint turned out to be a four year kind of uh, engagement with the work and the program yeah. um and so uh while i was in valpare i ended up i ended up doing a lot of things which really helped i think me think about you know the kind of multidisciplinarity that uh, a field like conservation um has potential for and so in valpare while we were doing the rainforest restoration kind of work Uh, with the tea and coffee estate companies over there uh, there were studies which were being done on uh, you know of uh, birds in certain uh, rainforest fragments small mammals and you know fragments um and but there was really a dearth of information about uh, the spider and insect life in a lot of these forest patches so you know we we started discussing whether i should look at you know look uh, documenting spiders in these land, in the in this particular landscape and seeing if the community com- composition uh, you know changed between each of these forest fragments and what did this mean for the rainforest restoration work that we were doing were certain uh, groups of spiders or a certain species of spiders was it completely absent in a in a rainforest fragment for example that was extremely disturbed right okay. uh, and so there were studies to show that birds get affected by uh, you know extreme fragmentation or uh, or a lot of disturbance mm-hmm. some groups seem to thrive some completely disappear so it was this the case 
for spiders as well. And so I did this uh, year-long kind of uh, uh, field research work in, in that landscape. And uh, that turned out to be um, not only just fun and interesting, but um, it also became very useful to add to the documentation work that was going on mm. in that landscape. And so, you know, the species that we found were, uh, you know, not only used to see if certain, you know, some of these rainforest fragments that we were trying to restore uh, were also bringing back the wildlife okay. or not. Mm. Um, it was also used a lot in uh, public engagement programs where, you know, especially in exhibition setups and places like that. Mm. And also for writing a lot of articles and, uh, you know, research papers and things like that. Yeah. After four years in Valpare, I uh, felt that I needed to, to take a break. Um, you, you feel uh, being in a kind of a place like Valpare can also kind of completely cut you off from sure. uh, quote-unquote normal, the normal world. Uh, so I felt like I was living in a bubble for too long. <laughs> and so I decided to come back uh, and I relocated to Mysore. Okay. Um, and over there, I wanted to kind of assess what I wanted to do further, you know, moving forward. Um, and so um, I kind of went into a part-time position to start with, helping the organization with a lot of the admin um, and accounts kind of work, mm-hmm. hoping that that kind of would give me the flexibility to dabble with other kind of things that I wanted right. to do, including writing um, and, you know, assessing what, whether I wanted to get into a research field uh, or not. There was also this brief flirtation with doing whether I wanted to do a PhD or not. And then I quickly realized that a PhD wasn't for me at that point in time, at, at least. Mm-hmm. And so while I was helping, the, the organization was also going through an interesting transition at that point of time. We were having to raise funds for the institution, but mm-hmm. we were also growing slowly. And so systems had to be put in place. And so I headed the um, admin and accounts uh, team okay. for, for about... Uh, Two and a half years and uh, but at the same time I was also uh, you know I co-wrote a book for children with Aparajita right. Dutta uh, on uh, the rainforest in the northeast and the animals uh, and the plant life uh, okay. for the children in the schools over there yeah so it's called the secrets of the rainforest Lovely. it's again a book which is um, available for download for free um, I can also send you a copy uh, later on too but so Again, but yeah, so then after that is when I found out in 2010, early 2010, I found out that uh, there was this uh, kind of a new course being uh, set up in uh, the Cambridge University uh, called the MPhil in Conservation Leadership mm-hmm. Program. And it was meant for people who uh, had at least uh, three to five years of experience in the conservation field. And... Uh, it was meant to be a program to uh, engage with conservation with a very multidisciplinary kind of a lens. Um, and so, you know, the, there are different, there were different departments that were going to be involved. The, the management department in Cambridge, the economics department in Cambridge, okay. the geography department in Cambridge. Um, and so it was very exciting to kind of look at, uh, you know, the prospect of uh, having to engage with conservation in a very disciplinary, mm. interdisciplinary lens. Right. Um, and uh, also to kind of step back and allow me to uh, get back into touch with the recent research which was going on. Okay. Um, and so I was fortunate to get a scholarship from the uh, Ravi Shankar Nidlax 
uh, fellowship program that was again mm-hmm. set up that year. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I got a full scholarship to go to Cambridge. Wow. And uh, uh, it was a one-year course. And uh, <clears throat> as part, and it was an excellent course uh, in terms of also uh, giving us the ability to critique conservation in the way it was being done. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, it was also the first time I had to write essays. As part of the course, and that was a bit challenging for me because you know our education system is so yeah. different in terms of examination and you know True. very uh, unidirectional kind of teaching. Uh, this is the first time I was exposed to uh, you know a space where we could question our teachers and have discussions and group discussions and critique and you know uh, we had right. to do a lot of self learning. <laughs> there was uh, library access with. any book or journal that you wanted access to so it was intense but it was extremely uh, it was extremely useful for me i think at that point in my career okay. to get get into that course that sounds yes. so interesting starting with your work i had no idea spiders eat cockroaches <laughs> <laughs> But yes, the only uh, problem yeah. is who. If you ask somebody which one would you prefer, I'm not sure what they'd say. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about this particular species, which loves to eat um, eat cockroaches, is nocturnal. <laughs> okay. Um, you may have seen it. It's pretty. Uh, it comes quite often to bathroom spaces. Yeah, we nice. have large ones in our bathrooms. Yes, Always, yes, they just yes, live there, so the we just let yes, them. But we don't have cockroaches. But right, right, <laughs> they, right. the I don't know what they're living on. <laughs> On a more serious note, uh, how do you persuade teachers to incorporate your na- nature learning curriculum and use your outreach material um, in- into their existing uh, program or plan? You know, it it works sometimes. It also doesn't work sometimes because yeah, sure. we find that we have to keep going back. Yeah. To the teacher and reminding him or her that you know, are you are you including the nature learning element in it? <laughs> What do you think should be your yeah. nature learning element in it? And not everybody also, is so receptive, no? Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, they see the value uh, in it, but often because you're rushing to have to finish the portion, right, right, and right. Uh, you know, you you then go back to your yeah. traditional kind of learning methods, yeah. right? because there's comfort in that there's right. there's familiarity in that so then uh, do you want to talk about what resources uh, you're all working on and what you'll use sure so um so we are actually now in that phase in our work where where we are kind of designing our modules and our curriculum and thinking of all the different kinds of tools that we can use and uh, one of our main goals is to make it age appropriate and mm-hmm. this is where we are engaging with a lot of Uh, kind of theory and practice uh, around the education field and what other people in the education sector have been using right so mm-hmm. we kind of try and read research papers to see what kind of tools work for which age group what are they more receptive to right and again as a as the conservation community we tend to rely heavily on things like posters and books you know and uh, flash cards which are good but mm-hmm. sometimes that may not be appropriate for a particular age group So we're also trying to bring in elements like storytelling, poems, theater, okay. uh, language. Uh, nice. You know, it can just be uh, stick doodles. You know, it could be mm-hmm. building blocks. So those are the kind of tools that we are here, trying to uh, see what might work with different age groups. Right. Also, keeping in mind that again, each school 
will have access to uh, to a certain amount of outdoor space right one of the government schools that we work with has absolutely no outdoor space okay right so uh, what can we do in a situation like that how do we make use of the fact that they may have just one singapore cherry tree outside their campus school <laughs> campus so lalita the other thing we do is yeah. again as part of our uh, engagement with the teachers is we also try and take them for a short walk around their schools you know nice. um, because mm. we've also realized often teachers think that nature and Some of us actually think the nature is out there, somewhere right? else, it's far away. <laughs> you have to take children to a park or to the zoo. Yeah. Um. You know, so 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 often teachers would tell us, oh, you know, we need a day off or two days, then we'll take the children to Kavan Park or to uh, to Lal Bagh, which yeah. is in Bangalore, and uh, you know, then we can show them the trees and the you know shrubs and the uh, creepers over there because they're learning that in the textbook. And then we have, you know, we tell them, okay, come with us for a short walk. some of them come and then we just a 10 minute walk around the school and we say see all the examples that you want to show to your children are all here actually so yeah. you just have to kind of look around and explore your area a little bit and you'll find all sorts of examples in nature that you can use yeah and so, so we find that's also sometimes very uh, kind of powerful and yeah. for it for the teacher to kind of come to that kind of understanding that oh you know i really don't need to take too much time off to get my children to you know experience nature yeah exactly yeah within the school campus yeah i'm a big believer in you know just knowing your own backyard and just discovering what's there so i yes, think that's yeah. that's great yeah. so often they say oh there's nothing you know yeah. we have these two trees oh there's nothing but how can we what will we show children <laughs> and then we start you know taking them and pointing out uh, it's like pointing out spiders pointing out the birds and you can start seeing you know they really uh, get excited about this yeah, like, oh, yeah, god yeah. we been here in the school for 10 years we've never seen this <laughs> oh i didn't know that this was here oh yeah. no, i didn't realize mm-hmm. um you know so that that itself is uh, again for us also it's a, it's a form of also trust building and getting to know the teachers better right and so a lot of them are also uh, you know become good friends of ours that also helps i think quite yeah. a bit sure. in that engagement yeah. with them you also partner with larger organizations like wipro so how does that work uh, again uh, wipro has a huge network of organizations and educators that they work with and support and so we try and work uh, with some of them because they have access to schools in different parts of india okay. uh, and they are embedded within that school system so what so kind we, of organizations uh, are we talking um, about So there's this organization in Madhya Pradesh called Samavesh. Uh, they've been around for quite a while, and they work with schools and teachers in uh, in and around Panna, the Panna Tiger okay, Reserve. Yeah. So we've been kind of working with them and training their trainers. So it's like training the trainers program, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then they take a lot of our ideas and our kind of uh, uh, processes and some of the tools. Uh, that we have designed mm-hmm. uh, to the teachers over there, and then then they end up training the, oh, you know, nice. the teachers over there okay. uh, based on, of course, their local, uh, you know, requirements. Okay. So uh, we kind of encourage them to use their no local natural history stories. You know, what is it that, uh, what are the myths that some of the people in the, those areas uh, have, right? Right. And so to kind of deconstruct that and to talk about that, can that be included as part of the nature learning? Uh, that they uh, discuss with the teachers and then in turn translate to the children 
um, and to keep stressing that it has to be localized okay. right to their situation so yeah. uh, so those are the kind of kind of training programs that we've also been doing and for the last one year because of again because of covid we've hardly had any uh, we've had almost no physical contact with the school the yeah. kids all the teachers that we work with mm. and so most of it has gone online so the okay. trainings that we've been doing are online uh, unfortunately uh, we've not had a chance to connect with any of the government schools that we were working with earlier yeah because they don't have access to a lot of uh, and they're also know, shutting and clo- you know opening so randomly one never knows there's no stability at all right now exactly exactly so uh, so we're also trying to uh, figure out you know how we have to approach and restructureize our work mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the trainings that we've been doing online have been received very well thankfully so far okay people are now going back to their field areas or you know having the discussions within their own teams as well um, and we're hoping that maybe in about 5 6 months we'll also open this out to anybody who's interested so far we've been only working with groups of teachers or organizations that we have mm-hmm. either approached us Hmm. or you know we know and then we said okay we can kind of so what what kind of open to who give me an example to an educator okay okay uh, so it can be you so they would be very happy for you to kind of participate in our workshops and again all these uh, workshops are open source mm-hmm. we're conducting them free of cost you know and we kind of showcase the kind of materials and are the approach that we take in, in the nature learning work that we're doing Right. Uh, and oh. so in a few months we're hoping that we'll be able to kind of uh, you know do workshops for anyone who's interested in it can be even parents who are kind of homeschooling their children right for example uh, <clears throat> because we think we'll have enough content uh, by then okay and also very specific examples people can use along with their uh, school curriculum and textbooks that they use in, yeah. in the class Now what about you know like village schools that don't have internet and very few resources and would it be possible so, Yes so we're again uh, extremely kind of cognizant of this and uh, in fact the one of the schools two of the schools that the government schools that we uh, worked with earlier um we uh, like I said we didn't have any access right. to them and many of them are also first generation learners right and many of them are also migrant uh, workers children Hmm. So they uh, for example so in Bangalore for example the kids are familiar with Kannada they can speak Kannada uh, fluently but they still can't read because they come typically from you know Bihar Rajasthan yeah. Yeah. European places or there's one Urdu medium school where Kannada again is understood and spoken but the medium of instruction for them is in Urdu right so okay. they can't read many of them again are first generation learners so mm. what we did was we put together a few physical learning kits which nice. had to be very very kind of which didn't have too much of text in it mm-hmm. but relied on things like very simple poems riddles games mm-hmm. put together some of these physical learning kits which we were calling some books from pratham as well okay uh, story books from pratham as well and we kind of distributed them to the kids so that okay with the hope that their learning is not just completely cut off or shut down you know right. they, it had some pages in which they could color and engage and you know they had to uh, narrate stories to us and they didn't have to do it in kannada they could write it in any other language or they could record it on their phones and play mm-hmm. it back to us if they wanted 
So we gave them that flexibility. Okay, nice. It, it really helped that, especially one of the schools, we are working with another partner organization in that space. Hmm. And so two of the teachers are in that particular village. So okay. they would also, you know, occasionally try and connect with the children uh, at a at a social, uh, in a, you know, at a distance. Uh, ask them if they had any problems with uh, some of the homework that was given. Yeah. Um, you know, and so the, there's also some kind of dialogue which is happening occasionally. Okay. What okay. the second wave means, we don't know as yet. Um, we're all a little really worried. Yeah. Lots of kids have gone back to their hometowns. True. Um, so we don't even know if we'll, if we'll meet them again, when we'll meet them again, oh what this means for their learning. So yeah, it, it, is, it is very painful and heartbreaking yeah. uh, in these spaces. But, yeah. True. These are trying times as it is, but you seem to have challenging situations to begin with. So how do you cope? So within the program and across NCF also, we're trying to kind of collaborate much more uh, and try and do, you know, joint training sessions. Mm-hmm. Now that each of us have our own little experience in our own little silos, mm-hmm. we're now starting to talk to each other to see how we can, you know, not work. Uh, I mean, yes, it's important to work you know, in separate, separately as well mm-hmm. teams because we each, uh, you know, have our own experiences and trainings and, you know, on-ground experiences that we have. Mm-hmm. But can we think of a more holistic kind of training program that we can do for okay. people as well? So that's something which we started talking okay. uh, to uh, people. Uh, I, I want to maybe add that, you know, a lot of the work uh, that the Nature Classrooms project does yeah. A lot of it is to do with the people who are part of it as well, right? So I have two extremely motivated, wonderful colleagues, um, you know, who are part of this work. Yeah. And each of them come in with their own kind of skill sets and experiences to this work. And okay. that's really strengthened it. So, for example, um, early on in the work, when I was thinking of this project, I wanted an, a person with a background in education to join, right? Because we are mm-hmm. going to be because the idea was to work with schools and teachers. And I thought that that's a very important kind of uh, skill set to have or a person to kind of, you know, head that part of the work. And uh, and so Roshi came on board. She doesn't have a kind of a, a formal training in education, but she's been a teacher for six, seven years in a school setup. Um, and she comes with a psychology background as well. And uh, she has kind of really uh, given shape to the work in terms of understanding what teachers would, you know, uh, react to or uh, how teachers would respond to certain kind mm-hmm. of things. And the empathy factor with the teacher is also there right? because Good. she is a teacher herself in hmm. this space. Um, and so that became very important. Last year, I had my colleague Laboni join the project where she comes in with some experience in education and teaching and, and outreach. Um, but she also comes with the training in, uh, in design and illustration. Uh, okay. Right, and so there, that becomes very important for us for designing our material mm. and tools, because she thinks with that hat on and she comes with that skill set. Yeah. So, you know, what is the kind of material, and what is the shape the material uh, and these tools need to take, in order to get someone like a teacher excited about, and a child excited about as well. Right, and yeah. those could take very different forms. And, uh, and so really the strength of the work right now and the way moving forward will is is the fact that all three of us come with such different skill sets and experiences 
Could you share a word with us that's significant for you related yeah, to conservation? Ask me that. Um, for me, I think it would be natural history. Okay. And I think that's really what's missing in our uh, in our very well-intentioned uh, reason for you know making environmental sciences compulsory in schools. There seems to be this missing element of you know the fascinating aspects of nature, the interconnectedness of nature, the ability to explore and discover and connect and you know sensorial experiences that you can get in nature and a lot of this is part of also learning about the natural history of different organisms uh, and there are so many fascinating stories waiting to be told to be shared um, with, with so many people and i think we're really missing out on that crucial element i mean the little bit of twitter engagement that i have uh, and you know, and I would think that okay, people should know this, but so many people, you know, write back saying, "Oh my God, I didn't know this. Thank you for sharing." And I uh, keep thinking, you know, um, we really need to push uh, for more natural history stories, and I think that's what is a key to get people excited um, and interested in nature. And without that excitement and love and a feeling of wonder and connect uh, for nature. Uh, as a starting point, why would people want to protect it right later on in life? Uh, so, you know, we kind of push people uh, with the narrative of climate change, climate destruction, deforestation. Yes, it's important to talk about these issues which are happening, maybe to adults and maybe, maybe to slightly older children. But to put that emotional burden uh, on young children, I think, is extremely unfair. And we really need That's to start true. with getting children, especially, excited with nature and to feel a sense of love for, for nature. And yeah. then to start introducing them to, you know, to the connections and the yeah. interconnectedness and then the issues which are going on. Uh, nice. You know, the problems which, yeah. uh, which we need to kind of solve. It's the right way to think. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for... Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned. I'm Lalitha Krishnan and you're listening to Heart of Conservation. You can read the show notes on my blog, Earthy Matters. You can also write to me at earthymatters013 at gmail.com. Heart of Conservation podcast is available on several platforms, so do check it out. Until next time, stay safe and keep listening.